This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. All right, on this week's podcast, we're going to have our friend Kelly Eco from The Athletic discuss his new article on James Harden and what he's been doing during this downtime period with his body. The transformation he's done is incredible, and his article is really good. We're going to talk about it. We're going to continue our Rockets Rewind series with Game 5 of the 2018 Western Conference Finals. That's right, the bittersweet moment Chris Paul turned his hamstring, and the Rockets immediately, but briefly, became the favorites to win the NBA title. All right, guys. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Russell Westbrook is off to Houston. It's going to be scary. Not for us. No! James Harden just caught a body here in Los Angeles. And Westbrook is on the freeway. All right, we are joined by the Athletics' Kelly Eco. Kelly, how you doing, man? What's going on, bro? How you holding in there? I'm doing all right. What about you? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes it easier as you get, as the days go on, you get into a routine of sorts and you know, just kind of wait out the return of the league. My routine went right out the window a couple weeks ago. I, I it's, it's, it's getting really hard. It's getting really hard to just maintain the same thing over and over and over again. Like when you're not seeing people on a regular basis, when you're not interacting face to face, like I get Zoom, I get Skype, I get all that, FaceTime, all that. That's cool. It, it's not the same. Yeah, it's, it's not the same, but how – so would you say it's like on a scale of 1 to 10 for you, how how bad is it? I would say about a 6 or 7. Right? Okay, that's not, that's, not, that's not so bad. Yeah, but it's, it, it, I would say a couple weeks ago I was out at 3, you know? It, it was it – Oh, wasn't okay. But, but don't you think on that hand, wouldn't it be you know easier given that the, the NBA is coming back? It's going to help a lot. It's going to help a lot. It's going to do a lot for my mental. uh, It's going to do a lot for me. It's going to do a lot for a lot of people, I I imagine. Sports is is good that way. It's it's weird. It's weird how that works, but it helps a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. Um, So we're continuing our Rockets Rewind series today. But before we get to that, I want to talk to you about the article you wrote a couple days ago. So. Uh, just as a backdrop, uh, Harden's camp has really been dropping hints that he's really been busting his <laughs> during this quarantine period. And this goes beyond Instagram stuff. Like the guy I was talking talking to kept saying, wait, wait until the season starts, wait until you see the pictures. And I just kind of brushed it off like, okay, man, I believe you. And, and you kind of sort of had the feeling that something was coming down the pipeline. But I'll be honest, I did not expect this. First of all, your article is great. And I encourage everyone to go read it on The Athletic. But Harden looks skinny 
like skinny, skinny. Like, were you first? Were you shocked when you first saw the images? Yeah, the the first picture was kind of crazy. Just given, you know, obviously this time there is no definitive of how NBA guys are staying in shape because you know there's going to be a, a lack of intensity, a lack of facility and equipment. But man, he looks good. Yeah, so I remember hearing that a lot of teams didn't really know how to approach the down period because they didn't know how long it would last and they didn't have access to the courts. But the Rockets treated as a, they treated as a version of the off season. They really stayed in constant communication with their guys. They sent little kits to and like workout material to the, to their homes. They provided everything they could. But obviously, the big question was how do you possibly train for the basketball season without access to a basketball court? Now. Clearly, James Harden is a player with more resources than 99% of the NBA. But did <laughs> did Justin Allen and that group of guys around Harden uh, encounter any of those same issues? You mean in terms of just having the availability? Yeah, or? and like just trying to get regular basketball workouts in. Um, obviously, there's it's not going to be as easy as you know a normal off season or a normal off day, just because of all the restrictions going on in the city and what you can and can't do, but credit to those guys. They found a way, you know, the outside always works. And I was talking to Justin. He said, you know, it kind of takes you back to to the old days of being a kid, you know, background ball. You have to find a way to get it in without a gym or equipment and you just have to make stuff work. So the sand workouts coming to that, you know, the, the hill, you know, all those drills come from a lack of facilities, if that makes sense. The images look like a Rocky movie. Like this guy was doing sand workouts. He was obviously doing a lot yeah. of stuff outside. And it looked like the team got really creative. And uh, reading your article, it seemed like obviously Harden had weights. He had workout equipment at his home already. Um, but Justin really helped him, helped guide his workouts and, and kind of show him how how they can properly get ready for the season. And, you know, Harden is one of those guys, well, look, Different NBA players have different roles. And anybody that watches Houston knows that James's load dictates a lot of uses, a lot of endurance. So you need to have your body in tip-top shape. And while his frame isn't like the chiseled or that kind of like a LeBron type body, he's still someone who works extremely hard and has a very powerful body. Like just watching him on a night-to-night basis, you can see that this guy is no slouch. So even though he doesn't have the appearance of you know, a six pack or whatever. It, um, when it comes down to it, you need to have endurance, you need to have power, you need to have strength, you need to have explosion. And those are all the things that he worked on during that week in Phoenix. Yeah, and Harden is a muscular dude. Like you wouldn't know it because he has the jersey on and he's kind of he's kind of a hef- hefty upper upper body kind of guy. But I mean we we've, we've both seen him without a shirt. And he's definitely really chiseled. It's just hard to see underneath the jersey and and underneath the rough exterior, it's it's really tough to see. And he's got a different body type than most people. And Justin was really talking about this. Uh, and it's it's one of those things where it can be really deceiving. But yeah, you're right. He is like he is a workout warrior. And people don't really talk about like after I would say that 41 and 41 season. Like Harden took his approach to his body completely differently. Like he started taking a lot more better care of himself. Like he he laid off the Chipotle. Like that was gone. Uh, he he went in uh, and surrounded himself with the right people, uh, and he started really, really taking his offseason seriously. And this is essentially an extension of the offseason. It's a weird offseason, but it's basically the offseason. Two months off, 
Uh, the only difference is no no basketball courts. Yeah, and and you know to your point about him changing his body and regime, that kind of happens around the league when you get guys that have improved science, improved knowledge of stuff that works and what doesn't work for your body. And for Harden, he had to change what he ate. He had to change how he worked out, what he worked out on, because you know his play style is unique. It, it like for example, the plyometrics and the, and the fast twitch muscle fibers. Those are for guys that have those that. Quick first step, guys who have those stop-start movements, the deceleration, things that are uniquely tailored to his playing style, which is what how you're seeing over the years him getting more and more comfortable with those kind of workouts. Yeah, and there's this perception that Harden isn't very athletic, and that's just wrong. Like You have to watch his first step. And you have to watch just how quickly he decelerates, right? This is, oh, everybody knows about this. Yeah, his full, right? footwork, footwork is elite. Like, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's, I would put it top five in the league for sure. 100%. For sure. And it's one of those things where, like, it's hard. Like, no one talks about deceleration. That's not a skill that, like, like you know, you start hearing it recently because of Harden. Like, with guys like Markel Fultz, like, coming out of the draft, you're starting to hear more and more about deceleration. But it's really still not a part of the NBA vernacular. It, it's, it's a new term. And it's because right. of Harden, right? And also, um, another guy that's coming up in that, and those ranks pretty quickly is Luka Doncic with his deceleration. So, there's another player who can stop on a dime. That's kind of the the basic way of saying it: stopping on a dime. But you know, there's really an, an exact science that goes into taking your motion and your your velocity and just slowing it down gradually against a defender who's going at at the same, if not faster, speed and. It's a really incredible thing once you look at all the inner workings of it. But, you know, it's something that the human mind, the human brain doesn't con- uh, comprehend in real time. But when you actually sit down and look at it and break it down, um, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and there's a certain level of gifts that Harden has that other people just won't be able to do. Like, you're, I'm right. surprised Harden doesn't get the ball stripped from him more often. He's just so strong with the ball. And he puts it in compromising positions all the time. To draw fouls, obviously. But it, it, it's just it's just not like traditional fundamental basketball to let people just swipe at the ball like that. It's a hardened thing. It's a it's a skill that he developed over time. Right. Uh, you saw it in, in high school in Arizona, but it's 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 very unique to to be able to hold the ball that strongly and still be able to finish at the rim or draw the foul. Yeah, he's a big dude, so <laughs> it's it's a hard it's a hard task getting the ball out of his hands. Obviously, um, just looking at how defenders play him. You know, you'll see double teams. You'll see there's a reason why he's picked up at full court sometimes. There's a reason why they send doubles. There's a reason why he averages, you know, 35 points a game. It's it's pretty hard to get the ball into his hands. So, right. credit to him. So, the natural question, and you've gotten this a lot uh, ever since you released the article, was like, okay, right. so this this is what's going on with Harden. What's going on with Russ, right? Like, well, what is he doing? So, you, you start, you, you start <laughs> seeing pictures of Russ in the background of some of these Harden workouts, right? So, you assume he's definitely participating in some of them. But to what extent they're working out together? Is what is is Russ doing his own thing as well? Like, what have you heard on the Russ front? Um. Well, I've heard that you know, obviously Russ, the workout you're seeing now, you have to also take it to the fact he didn't get a chance to do this last summer, um, because he had just come off an injury, off a, of a surgery, he's still recovering from the surgery. He didn't get a chance to uh, train to do the things that he's accustomed to. So now you're seeing that right now. You know, all the, the explosion drills with Kevin Hart with just train. That's what he normally does in every offseason. But it looks more 
um, it looks more emphasized now because he didn't train last summer. So that's kind of what you see. But Russ is, is a freak of nature. He's always going to be in shape. doesn't matter how old he is. He's going to be able to jump out the gym. So it's, it's pretty standard for him. Yeah, I would not worry about Russ coming in, into training camp out of shape. Like, that's that's not going to happen. Um, right. But it's, it's, it's definitely... Uh, one of those things where like you're just curious, like like okay, so Harden's doing all this, so what what's Russ doing? It's it's definitely I could understand why it would cross someone's mind, but um, it it is it is very interesting. Like Harden's body, like I haven't seen it this skinny in particular since like his his first year in Houston. Like it's 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 something I haven't seen before. It's and you know I it's it's definitely I, I'm just curious as to whether or not. He's uh, going to be able to translate that to the season. Obviously, it's different. Like he ha- he has to get his reps in. He has to uh, he has to get, he has to play basketball. Uh, but it's it, it's going to be a different a different experience for him. I imagine uh, playing with this body type compared to the body type he had before. Right, and and that's going to be you know for a lot of players who because like this hiatus came at a pretty you know random time in the season when guys are supposed to be getting into that third gear. You know, right before the playoffs, and you know it caused a lot of changes for a lot of people quickly, and that's why you've seen so many people say, you know, whoever wins the championship, there's going to be, if you, if you want to put an asterisk, you can put an asterisk, an asterisk, but the truth is that there's going to be a lot of people who have a hard time readjusting to NBA games after it comes back because being off for two two and a half months won't. Without the offseason is pretty damning. So, I mean, it's going to be a real test of who's stronger, who's more endured, who has more endurance, and who has, you know, mind. It's, it's going to be a lot of things that go into who wins this specific championship, just apart from, you know, your physical state of being. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but it, it, it is going to be interesting. Like, the, like, I am curious to see how some of the players come out, out of the gate. Uh, right. I, I'm a little worried about injuries, but I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think – I think if if that if that's avoided, I'm interested to see how the play looks. Yeah, and that's going to be determined by you know the training camp regime that they set up before the games. You know, if it's two to three weeks, if it's two weeks, if it's three weeks, just seeing how guys are, because technically, it, look, if you were if this was a preseason, there's a, there's a gradual increase of you know intensity of output given just because. The games are going by, and you're getting your game legs under you. This is not. This is different. This is a stop and a start. So there is going to be an increased chance of injuries, and you have to make sure you manage that. Yeah, one hundred percent. Um. So we're gonna do our Rockets rewind series. Rockets versus Warriors, Game Five of the Western Conference Finals. This game right. has a strong case for being the most bittersweet playoff victory of all time. How vividly do you remember this game? <laughs> that was a freaking zoo. I remember this game very well. Um, it was one of those games where I was walking around looking for certain stuff. And I remember right at the end of the game, I'm seeing two cops arresting uh, this guy who was just so drunk out of his mind. He was just screaming and hooping and hollering. And it's because you, you you could see the emotion. You could see the, the momentum switch right back to the Rockets' favor because, you know, they had a three-two lead, yeah. and 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 it just it just felt like the way that game went down at the end, especially it just felt like um, you could kind of start to see 
the initial questions is, is this possible can they pull it off and it looked pretty real then yeah so i want to quickly point out some some forgotten highlights because this game like i feel like a lot of rockets fans don't want to go back and watch this game or even watch the highlights because it's really painful for them because what happened at the end and we'll get to that i promise um but it, I really do hope they put this game on NBA TV because it's really, really freaking good. Some of the highlights from this game. So the 436 mark of the second quarter, Harden crosses over Steph and turns him around and gets the layup. Like he tur- Har- Steph is turning around on the court like a f- ballerina. And, uh, Har- and Harden gets the, the room for the, lay- for the layup. Um, so there's that at the second quarter. The 635 mark of the third quarter. This is the infamous Steph is defending Chris Paul on the perimeter. And he's like all up on it in his grill. The shot clock is running down. And Paul hits this ridiculously contested shot. This three-pointer at the buzzer in Steph's eye. And then he shimmies at Steph while Steph is smiling while running down the floor. Steph's trying to avoid eye contact. And I don't remember the shimmy in real time. But I remember the broadcast came around and showed like what an amazing moment. Like, Do you remember catching it live or did you watch the replay? Because it was happened really fast. Yeah, it happened really fast. Um... I think in the first instance, I didn't know what was going on. I was kind of confused. I didn't think anything of the matter. In the, the highlight moment. was really good. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was a great highlight. But you know, as things unfold, you kind of see that we're wow. This is this this is potentially some bad news going on. But yeah, it was just a weird night, really. Just because you kind of almost had to think something bad was coming, given that everything could have gone well. For for the Rockets, it was going too good. Something had to go wrong to mess it up for them. And uh, that was that. It was, that was crazy. All right, let's talk about our friends at Bet Online. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness style NFL simulation tournament. You can enter for free. And live right now on Bet Online's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss Michael Jordan's documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, all caps, to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Um, some other highlights. The 643 mark of the fourth quarter. Chris Paul hits a step back three over David West and the camera flashes to J.J. Watt and, Ju- <laughs> and Justin Timberlake, of all people. And they're both just losing their on the sidelines They're like the, the most random odd couple I've, you'd expect to see uh both jj and jt it was it was very strange but it was like the rockets at that time the rockets warriors at that time was a hot ticket because we had hyped we had hyped that matchup up all season the rockets had talked all off season about how they really wanted to dethrone the warriors how they they made this chris paul trade for the express purpose of taking down the warriors and how they had constructed their roster to take down the warriors and you know that all this hype it had seeped he seeped into the warriors locker room and draymond was getting really antsy about it getting asked about it during training camp during the season about the rockets and draymond sharing uh quotes in in the warriors group chat about it it's it's starting to become a thing and every Rockets Warriors matchup is must watch, especially that that game one of the regular season where it went down to the buzzer. Chris, Kevin Durant hits that 
buzzer beater, but it ends up not counting. Uh, every game becomes a hot ticket. I just forgot the amount of celebrity that was at, that were at these games. Like I, in the moment, like you you obviously notice it, but like looking back, it's like oh my god! Like you have a list celebrities all over the court because this, this is a must watch matchup for a lot of people. And Houston has become that kind of hotbed for you know getting some kind of big names at the games. Of course, out you see Beyonce, Jay Z, were they um, at the Cardi? Yeah. Well, yeah. Cardi B. I completely forgot. Um, yeah, it it was a lot of people because look, the Warriors were the big bad guys around the league, and this was the first time you really saw a team stand up to them. Apart from, and at least as far as the Western Conference is concerned, you know, obviously the Cavs had been there a number of times, but. The Rockets were the first guys to say, "Look, they're not going to they're not scared of you and you're not going to run over them." So, there was there's a reason why you seen Justin Timberlake. There's a reason why you saw JJ Watt, Jay-Z, Beyoncé because people are tuned in. This is this is high-level basketball and that was a very well-played high-level series. People forget that because of the 27 missed threes um they lost by 8. <laughs> like that game oh, yeah, was close. It, it was still it was still a very Highly contested series and a game, game seven for sure. Yeah, I mean, like this series is f-ing awesome. Like it's an awesome series to go back and wa- rewatch. Like I, I, I know it's again. I know it's painful for a lot of Rockets fans, but it is awesome basketball. Like the highest of high level basketball. It becomes a slugfest because both teams are forced to ISO and it becomes switch everything. And it's basically the best players in the world isoing on every single possession coming down the stretch. And that's uh, what more entertaining can you get than that? Like James Harden, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, uh, Chris Paul, all those guys isolating on the perimeter um, looking for mismatches. Like that's really, really freaking entertaining. I think that was one of the the biggest um, storylines of that season was that the Rockets kind of made the Warriors play like them. Yeah. You know, you saw you saw Kevin Durant seeking out what he perceived were, you know, mismatches and the low block on the perimeter instead of the normal ball movement, sexy ball that we've seen from the wars of the last five years. It was where the Rockets kind of got the best of them mentally because the wars were doing stuff they weren't really used to doing. And you kind of could see Steve Kerr on the sidelines, you know, not pleased at all of what was going on because at the end of the day, there's a point in time in a series and a game where you just revert to old school tactics, you know, backyard street ball stuff and Kevin Durant wanted to score on whoever was guarding him you know Steph Curry same thing and that was where I thought the Rockets had their best chance was because if they switch everything and you seek out what you think is a a mismatch it's really not it's really what they want you to do because if you score so be it if you don't they get down and running so no one shoots 100% from the floor so Every shot, there's a 50 percent chance that you can miss it. it, it like, if you think about it, it was really it was it was a really solid strategy from you know the Rockets on how to take the Warriors down. And Game Five, you kind of could see um, the apex of that strategy. Right, you took the Warriors out of their beautiful ball movement. They're having to post up Kevin Durant on like Chris Paul because that's the best matchup you could find on the floor. Like again, all five defenders right. except for you know maybe James Harden. Like all five defenders were incredibly strong. PJ Tucker, Trevor Ariza, Chris Paul, um, like that—that's really, really tough to score on. And I think Luke and Bamute closed a lot of games with the Rockets. Like that's a really, really tough lineup to score on. Um, and even if you can get Chris Paul on that on the on the post, like there's a really good chance he's going to strip the ball from you or he's going to pull the chair. And it's it's 
Harden, obviously great post defender. If you try him, he's he's gonna put up a good fight. Um, the right. the way they utilize their players, it was so efficient. Like they they use they maximize all their strengths in such a way that it put them in a really good position to win the series. But um, so this stretch I just found entertaining. Just re- going back and rewatching it, I found this entertaining. So the two fifty one mark of the second quarter, Kevin Durant's right. posting up Chris Paul. Durant gets past Paul. Clint Capella comes in from the weak side, meets Durant at the rim, and stuffs him. The 213 mark of the second quarter, transition play. So just a few minutes, a few seconds later, uh, Durant comes down the floor, hits a falling, uh, falling away three in Clint, in Clint Capella's stre- outstretched arms. It was like a little form of payback. It was a game within a game. Uh, so I just found that entertaining. That was like, see, that, 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 that segment you just told me, it just reminds me of, there were flashes when Clint could actually show you that he was going to be a really, really good center who could stay on the floor for long periods of time. And it, it, that's what makes last season's showing so weird because he was good against the Warriors in 2018, but he was awful in, in last season's second round. He he was getting outplayed by somebody making less than $2 million in Kevon Looney, which was wild to just see in real time, so much to the point where Mike D'Antoni had to physically get him out of the game and just go small the rest of the way and say, screw it, because he just couldn't stay on the floor. But that 2017-18 series, he was good. He was good. Yeah, and looking back at it, I, I kind of regret, like, I think we we probably undercovered Chris uh, Clint Capella's infection, like, because th- that was significantly bothering him in the series before, and uh, during that series, he just didn't have his wind under him. He was just out of it. Uh, and I think he had a heel injury. Did am I am I misremembering that? Did he have a heel injury? So a couple of things. The hold on, Carmelo came what twenty eighteen nineteen? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that that training camp, um, Clint told me it wasn't really his heel. Like the heel was an issue, but the main thing that was wrong with Clint was his knee, his knee, which a lot of people didn't know at the time. Um, and that dude, that was due to um, – it was some injury he had sustained in the season, but he had gotten hurt. It didn't really heal properly. He came into camp uh, a bit out of shape. But that was also a, an issue late in 2017-18 because, you know, all the switching and the running and jumping you have to do on the floor against the Warriors, it kind of adds up. And that kind of took its toll besides the heel, you know, it was it was kind of a compound injury, if if that makes sense. The heel was bothering him, his knee was bothering him, his whole leg was bothering him. So it was it On was a rough going infection, for him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, so the last minute of this game, uh this is really uh where the discussion starts. And um by now Chris Paul has effectively taken over the ball handling responsibilities, right? And yeah. he so he drives he drives left, spin moves to his right and attempts this awkward floater over Cook and immediately grabs his hamstring. And it was one of those things where everybody in the building knew exactly what happened because of Chris Paul's history with hamstring injuries. And up until that point, I would say Houston was on path to becoming the prohibitive favorites in Game 6, even though it was in Oakland, because they had a 3-2 lead. And it it felt like they figured the Warriors out. And at the drop of a hat, it was gone. Yeah, and I remember... Um, when Chris comes down, you know, off the the jump shot, you can kind of see it, but you don't really think it. 
And in that moment, you just see Mike D'Antoni. He, his face was he was trying to put on a brave face, but it was that was that was tough to watch those guys go through that because you you can just see Chris and you go back to the round before that. You know, it was so big for Chris just getting to the conference finals. You know, if you remember how he took over game five, he, you know, he put hard on the side. He said, I'm, I'm doing this. And he literally willed the Rockets to victory in that game five against the Jazz because up until then, he had never been to the Western Conference finals. You know, and to see him go down like that in that moment, in that fashion, robbing him of a potentially exhilarating game six or, or seven was some really harsh stuff to watch as a basketball fan. Yeah, and I've talked about this uh, on this podcast before. We underrate how effectively the Jazz have defended James Harden in the playoffs. Like they've actually done a really good job. And in those right. mo- in those moments, Chris Paul has taken over and sh- and shot these uh, these mid range jumpers because that mid range jumper that mid range area is open effectively the way the, the the Jazz play Houston. They leave it open. They, right. they block off the lane and they they take away step back right. three pointers and step and not Steph. Chris Paul feasted on that area. Uh, and you're right. He definitely did take over in some of those moments. Um, so this leads me to the central focus of this podcast because I don't think we as an NBA community talk enough about Chris Paul's hamstring because national pundits tend to dismiss the injury because Andre Iguodala was also injured. And I got to say, that <laughs> that logic just infuriates me because... <laughs> it's intellectually dishonest because, and everybody who makes that argument knows what they're doing and they know they're wrong, but they're doing it anyways. Iguodala at that point was the fifth best player on that Warriors team and is on the fringes of the hall on the, the fringes of the hall of fame. Chris Paul at that point is a top five, top 15 player and the clear second best player on that Rockets team and a lock for the hall. Of fame. What did you say? Wait, wait. Um, you said fringe hall. Of fame. I, don't, I don't think he's making the hall of fame. Iguodala? I just no, I don't think so. I mean, it's it's a, if it's, a, Chris, it's a disgusting if, point that I've heard. C. Webb is not in yet. If if Chris Webber's not in yet and Ben Wallace is not in yet, Andre Dawn is no way in the hell making the Hall of Fame before those guys. We've seen stranger so, entrance, as I'll say. That, that's true. That's true. But someone in their no one no one in their right mind would sh- should do that. Now, will they? Is a different question. But yeah. Here's what I'll say. I think C. Webb gets in pretty soon. Like I, I really do. Yeah, I, I hope. I hope so. Yeah, like, he, golly. he's earned it. Yeah, <laughs> and Ben Wallace. Like, ah, Lee, you can't. Like, <sighs> yeah, it's out of my hands. <laughs> they've they've made some questionable calls over the years. But um, by the way, we should we should talk to Jonathan about this. I think he was on some of those Hall of Fame voting committees. But yeah, and that's not even a comparison. Like Chris Paul was way more important to the Rockets than he it was to go and see. And it's not even For close. Sure. It's not even close. Nah, it's, it's a stupid argument. Anybody that brings that up is really stupid. I'm sorry. It, like you, like I said, it's being in- intellectually dishonest. If you're just going to say, and look, the Warriors fans will tell you because when Iguodala was there, they, what they outscored, but that's that's taken to in fact a, a game two blowout like or game three blowout that doesn't mean anything in the in the in the context of a seven game series, yes a one game of, uh, outcome is detrimental to the team that lost but you can't use that in terms of outscore that's a stupid stuff it's really it's really it's really intellectually dishonest to make stuff like, like that because you impact a, a large group size. of people it's yeah it's a group thing and it's a, an incredibly small sample size so. 
I just don't like bad arguments. And that was a bad argument for sure. And it, it wasn't just the Warriors people that were making this argument. Like you heard this from national pundits and that's what. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. National. Yeah. You, you were seeing that pretty um, aggressively over the NBA landscape, which is kind of weird to see. Yeah. And the other argument you hear is, oh, the Rockets had a chance to put the Warriors away in game six and seven and they didn't capitalize. For sure. And I think that's a, sure. little, a little bit more fair. Um, but no, no, it's more. It's, that's 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 for sure. Like they were up. I I remember. I remember at halftime, my editor had told me to start writing a piece on the Rockets in the finals <laughs> because it looked like it was done and dusted. And I was like, don't forget the Warriors in, in them third quarters because they'll come back at you. See, the, and lo and behold, they they just roared back. Yeah. That was my next point because every time the Rockets gained significant ground on the Warriors after Paul's <laughs> injury, the lead always felt temporary. Like everybody in the building never felt relieved. Yeah. Right. Paul was the stabilizing yeah. force on that team when things got tight. And we talked about earlier, he took over the ball handling responsibilities for a reason. Things got right. tight, tight. And Chris Paul has years of experience in these kinds of situations. Right. Like but, if you go back and watch the tape, Chris, Chris Paul is the primary ball handler. Yeah, because he was arguably the best player in that series before he went down. He he was playing at that high of a level. He, like, there's some guys you watch playing and you think, damn, this guy really wants it. And Chris is a guy who is an extreme competitor. Um, he doesn't settle for anything less than success. And he really wanted to get to the NBA Finals. So you could see it through all five of those games. So it, it was it was t- it was tough to see the Rockets try and 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 maneuver, you know, a tough environment, Oracle Arena, you know, you, you can kind of see the lead evaporating before your eyes. And not only evaporating, the Warriors just spanked them. So <laughs> that was pretty wild to see in game six. That was really wild. Yeah, and it's just disheartening for a couple reasons. Actually, a few reasons. Like, so first, obviously, like, that was clearly the best opportunity the Rockets have had in James Harden's era, right? Like that's you're not getting better than 65 wins and game and game seven of the Western Conference Finals. Like that that was easily the best the Rockets have ever looked as a team. And the another reason is obvious. That's probably the best chance Chris Paul is ever going to get to win a championship. Like James Harden still has time. Like it's getting it's getting a little scary, but he still has time to get that chip. Chris Paul that might have been. The best opportunity he's going to get. He's on the Thunder right now. Uh, God knows if he's going to get traded. It's looking unlikely. It looks like the, the Thunder want to keep him, and, and they're they're not going to find many suitors for that contract. And even if he gets traded, I, you wonder if the caliber of team he gets traded to is good enough to compete for a championship on the same level that the Rockets were in 2017-18. Yeah. Um, like I said, there were so many storylines that came out from that series because... You know, like you said, longevity, you know, the, the timeline of players, the, the timeline players have to win championships is very limited in today's day and age, especially for good players. You know, you see guys like James Harden has a one that Damian Lillard hasn't, he has a one one, Chris Paul has a one one. The list goes on and on. And when you have those moments to capitalize, you need to take full advantage. And obviously injuries are things you can't control. So that's where you kind of give the Rockets, you know, sympathy because, look, who knows what, who knows what would have happened if Chris Paul was there? They could have, they could have stuck up the joint two games in a row. You never know, but it's always going to be a question of what if, and that's what starts a lot of NBA conversations was what if. 
Right. And um, there's also the question, which, you know, probably doesn't get discussed enough. Like, do you think Chris Paul, through no fault of his own, uh, hurt his chances of staying with the Rockets after he hurt his hamstring? Like, do you think that was kind of the the move of all moves that really started the, the, started the direction uh, the Rockets ultimately went in and ultimately trading him the next the following summer? No, because the way I was told, you know, they obviously had a plan in place to to keep him and how they were going to manage the injuries and the minutes going forward. There was a plan in place. Um, but in the NBA world, things can happen on the drop of a dime. And once Paul George was traded, that opened the door for, um, for Westbrook. And the only asset that you could have actually traded a one-for-one one was Chris Paul. So there might have been some crazy math, you know, more occurred than to possibly get all three of them. And I remember he said that, that they had tried to get all, like, keep Chris and get Russ. But that would have taken a hell of a lot of gymnastics for in the CBA for that to happen. Um, but, no, nah, it's, it's, it's a tricky situation, really. Um, you On one hand, you understand that Chris – is a competitor, a great All NBA player, future Hall of Famer, but the injuries were were bad, and when when Harden went on that crazy tear, that doesn't happen if Chris doesn't get hurt, and if Chris doesn't get hurt, who knows what the Rockets do? Because remember, they were in a bad place before the injury; they're losing a lot of games, um, so you just never know. Like, I feel like a lot of the NBA's discussion, like I said, is based on hypotheticals. You you just never know what could have happened if Chris. Didn't get hurt. If Chris doesn't come down with the injury game five, is he still all right game six? He might have got a hurt game six. You just never know. Not true. Um, so that's interesting. You always – so you think the Rockets would have always made that rust trade regardless of the injury history with Paul. Like you think that like that, that was always going to happen. Yeah, I, I, I do. I just, I just think that that partnership would run its course as far as those two guys were concerned. Um, but, look, but do you think if they had won a championship – do you think now, that, now the, winning cures everything? So if they right. would have won a championship, yes, they would have. I don't think you 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 um mess with success. It like you don't tinker. I think if they would have won a championship, you would never hear anything about Mike D'Antoni's future. You would never hear anything about Chris Paul's future. You would never hear anything about anybody's future because they would keep those guys in house and look to add to it, not subtract from what, from a winning formula. So, yeah. Yeah, and it could also change some of their pursuits for guys like Jimmy Butler uh, in free agency. It's interesting. It, it, it is an interesting rabbit hole to go down. It's, it's going to be one of the greatest what-ifs in NBA history because I think it directly swinged a championship race, and I think um, it also swinged a lot of things. It changed the course of the Rockets franchise. Uh, it, it is an endless conversation if you really want really to go down this hole. But I do, I do think we have properly discussed the context of the Chris Paul injury. I think we've, we've finally had a good, you know, material discussion about it. Uh, I, I think more people need to talk about that Chris Paul hamstring in the, cor- <laughs> in the correct framing. Uh, yeah. Because I, I, I think it's an injustice to what Chris Paul was at that time right. for that Rockets team. Right. Right. Um, thank you so much for coming on, Kelly. Uh, again, go subscribe to The Athletic and read Kelly's work. It's really, really good. It's worth your time and money. Thanks, bro. Appreciate you, man. All right, man. Stay safe. Stay safe. 
All right, that was my good friend Kelly Eco of The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Kelly Eco NBA. Make sure to subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, make sure to go subscribe to this podcast if you really enjoyed it on iTunes and Spotify and Google Play and every single podcast player known to mine. And give us five stars because it really helps other people find the show. And yeah, guys, good night.